All right. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Thanks, everyone, for being here. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. We're in this series called My Flippin' Family because we believe God wants all of us to have a flippin' awesome family, right? And also, it's really fun to say flippin' in church. So that's why we're doing this series called My Flippin' Family because we believe that every family, wherever you are at, you can get better and that God can come into your family and help you have a better marriage, uh, uh, better parenting, just whatever it might be. And so wherever you're at um, in, in, your, in your family, maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe you're single after being married again, we believe that God has a plan for you. And so that's why we're in this series called My Flippin' Family. Uh, Kristen and I have been married for 14 years now, almost. Uh, yeah, give us a hand. We made it 14 years. Thank you. I heard those woots out there. Uh, four kids later, um, life's a little different than in year one. Can I get an amen? Uh, kids are a blessing, but sometimes kids get in the way of connecting. You know what I mean? You know, sometimes because of that, you, it's okay. You might have to lie to your kids. Yes, the pastor just said that. You know, if they're like, Dad, why was the door locked? Um, your mom and I really needed a nap, okay? You know, um, that's okay to tell your kids that. That's all right. Um, sometimes things get a little crazy, they change. Um, I found this video this week, and actually, Mike, I, wasn't, I didn't double check. Is there a video in there? No. Okay, we're going to skip the video and go right on. Um, I'll share it some other time. Um, but yeah, life changes in marriage from year one to year 14, or year 25, or year 30. And sometimes we have this picture of what marriage is going to look like, and then the reality is different. The other day, Chris and I, you know, as we're flipping through our phones, we're looking at pictures of our kids, and it's like, oh, aren't they so precious? Aren't they so cute? And they're off playing, and life is good. And then, inevitably, right, it always happens. It sounds like World War III. Like, one of the kids is killing the other one. Like, what is going on? And I realized, you know, there's times when I prefer looking at the pictures of my kids than being with my kids. Anyone else ever been there, or am I just a terrible dad? <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you for admitting that. You know, I think same thing with, with marriage, before we get married, we have this ideal picture of what married life is going to be like. And then we get married, and if everything changes. And the problem is when we prefer the picture to reality. So, some of us, I think we fall in love with the picture of marriage before we get married. I know some of you who love watching the TV show The Bachelor. You know, maybe you've watched The Bachelor, and, and you're thinking, like, uh, why, doesn't, why doesn't my husband plan those kind of creative dates like, like he plans? Well, because your husband doesn't have the same budget as a network TV show, okay? That, that's the reality. Like, no one can measure up to that. No guy can. Guys, we don't get off the hook either. I think some of us have spent so much time looking at airbrushed women that we have a completely whacked-out view on what true beauty is. We're comparing maybe your wife or your girlfriend to something that doesn't even exist in real life. It's like watching a McDonald's commercial. If you watch McDonald's, you're like, that looks so amazing. Like the burger looks all juicy. Then you eat it, and then 60 minutes later, like you regret that, right? Every time, every time. That's the problem when we have this mental picture of something and then compared to the reality. I love what one pastor said uh, talking about comparing your wife, he said, never compare the body of the woman who bore the cost of carrying your children to some woman's body who didn't carry your children. Can I get an amen? That is good. I'm going to say that again because that's good. Never compare the body of the woman who bore the cost of carrying your children to some woman's body who didn't carry your children. The problem is when we have this ideal picture and we compare 
our spouse, we compare our kids to this picture we have in our head. Today's message, as we go through my flipping family, we're calling it Love It or List It. Love It or List It. And we're going to see that it takes work to make relationships work. It takes work to make relationships work. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down, that it takes work to make relationships work. you got to work at it. We're going to talk about relationships for a lot of this series, but one thing I want to make clear is I refuse to make single people feel like second-class citizens. If you're single, you can still be complete. You can have deep relationships and friendships. You have your church family. Each season has its own struggles and strengths. When you're single, there are good things. There's bad things. When you're married, it's the same. There's strengths. There's weaknesses. And when you find yourself single again after being married, there's some strengths in that. There's some struggles. So if you're single today, I hope you can get something out of this. I hope that there's some words that will encourage you and, and help you grow today. But for those of us who are married, have you ever been in that place where you're looking at your spouse maybe over breakfast or the dinner table and you're sitting there thinking, what happened? Where did all the passion go? You're not alone. Maybe you used to have a vibrant relationship. You loved each other passionately. You're on the same page in everything, but now the thrill is gone. The passion is gone. Life is going by. You're just uncomfortably treading water. Maybe your marriage is a wreck and you're considering a divorce and you're trying to decide, am I going to love it or am I going to list it when it comes to your marriage? Ladies, maybe your man who was once your knight in shining armor now spends every night elbow deep in a bag of Doritos watching the sports center. Guys, maybe your lovely bride now comes to bed every night wearing four layers of flannel. Maybe you've drifted apart and you're wondering, should you love it? Should you list it? Should you fight for your marriage? Should you call it quits? I believe no matter how your marriage has gotten to the place where it is now, it's possible to find resolution, redemption, restoration, but it's going to take a lot of work from both of you. And you both are going to want to have to put in the work. My hope is that in this series, wherever you're at, I can encourage you in whatever season you find yourself in to get your hopes up. As we dive into today's uh, God's word, would you just join me in a word of prayer? Uh, God, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that whether we are single, married, going to be single again, or, or single after being married, God, that you have a plan for our life, that there's hope. And God, that you are working in us and through us. God, I pray that these words would be your words, that everyone who's in this gymnasium right now, God, would receive from you what they need to hear. God, that your Holy Spirit be working in and around and through my words so that your truth would penetrate deeply. In your name we pray, amen. God has a lot to say about marriages and families. God's plan was that one man and one woman would live together forever in covenant marriage until death do you part. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The thing is, though, that when we walk down the aisle on our wedding day, no one's walking down the aisle thinking, man, I hope in 10 years I'm going to get divorced. 
No one plans on getting divorced. And yet statistics say that about half of marriages end in divorce. Now, that's not the unforgivable sin. But it comes with an enormous cost. And my guess is that if you're married, there's at some point you've thought about giving up on your marriage. You thought about listing it and ending it. We've all been there. We all have that time of conflict. <laughs> uh, just last week, Kristen and I just had a rough day. And things are just not great. It's one of those mornings. You've probably been there. And I was in the laundry room, and Kristen walked by, and she just gave me a hug from behind. And she was work, moving towards me and trying to just, hey, I'm in this with you. And that's when I took a moment instead to say, why is this package in the laundry room, and have you not returned this back to Amazon? Have you ever been there? Yeah, that was not a good point to ask that question. That blew up. That was not good. And so left standing there in the laundry room like, what do I do now? See, we've all had those times where things blow up. We say things we shouldn't have said that instead of choosing to move towards each other, we, we get our claws out and we start to fight. You know, and a few days later, we, 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 we were talking in the kitchen and a close friend of her mom's had passed away suddenly. And so she's like, what would I do if you died? I don't, I don't know what I would do. And I said, and I, I kind of pulled, pulled her into a hug, and I said, babe, I, I think the first thing you'd do is you'd, you'd cry, you'd weep. And she's like, nope, I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> and I was like, this is why people get divorced, okay? <laughs> like, come on, throw me a bone here. Like, you wouldn't cry. And she's like, no, I'd, I'd cry when I tell the kids, but then I'd figure this out, and... We all have these times where we come to these crossroads and we choose to either move towards each other or we move away from each other. How many of you, maybe even right now, you feel like you're stuck in the laundry room? Maybe you've said something, you've done something, you weren't sure how to recover, and you're like, where do I go from here? See, no one wakes up suddenly and wants a divorce. A married woman doesn't just suddenly one day want to leave her husband. A married man doesn't just accidentally suddenly fall in bed with another woman, another woman. See, when a marriage ends, it doesn't happen in a single day. It dies from a thousand little wounds until hearts that one day were soft and warm grow callous and cold. When a marriage dies, it's one of the saddest things in the world. And so often what happens is that instead of choosing to forgive and move towards each other in reconciliation and healing, so often... People decide to follow their feelings. Have you ever heard someone say that? I'm just going to follow my feelings. This is what I'm feeling. I, gang, feelings are terrible decision makers. If Kristen and I made all our decisions based on our feelings, I'm just telling you, we'd be divorced by now. I would overeat all the time. I would overspend. I would never apologize to anyone. We'd never apologize if we feel like it, right? It's always a choice. If I made decisions on how I felt all the time, I would be an unemployed, divorced man living on a houseboat on a river, okay? That's where I would be right now. <laughs> because feelings are terrible decision makers. And so we can't base our truth in our life on our feelings, on our heart. So what do we base it on? We base it on God's word. That's a different way to live. We can either choose to live based on our feelings and let that take us wherever we want or to have some kind of standard. 
And so the rest of this morning, we're going to look at what does God say about divorce and marriage and sex uh, based on his word. First, I want to talk a little bit about divorce this morning. We're going to talk about the cost of divorce, preventing divorce, and then recovery. What happens when you've gone through that season, as many of you have? Many of you have been through that. Number one, the cost of divorce. See, I believe that when you're in a rough place, when your marriage is just on the rocks, you aren't thinking about the cost in the future. You're just tired of fighting. You're just like, man, anything would be better than this constant fighting. You went out of that place and you just, you think anything would be better, but that might be true, but it might not be true. And before you go down that path, you need to think through all the costs. Number one, there's an economic cost. Studies say that women with minor children, children under the age of 18, suffer a 73% standard of living decrease. There's an emotional cost. There's many of you who have been divorced, and you, you, you've shared that with me, that years later that pain is still raw, and, and trying to co-parent and, and just all that stuff that gets brought up. There's an emotional cost to separating that marriage. And number three, there's a family cost. I talk to so many couples who say, man, just be better for our kids if we're not fighting, if we're just divorced. But studies show that except in the case of violence or abuse, it's better for the parents to stay together. There's a cost to kids. God says this in Malachi 2, verse 15 through 16. He said, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And last week we talked about that. God doesn't say he hates divorced people. He hates that action. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. There's a cost to divorce. Number two, we're gonna look at preventing divorce. If half of marriages end in divorce, and right now you're married and you're saying, okay, I don't want to go through that cost. What are some steps I can take to hopefully prevent that from happening? Number one, one of the things you can do is to put God at the center. To put God at the center. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses says this to the people. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. We have the option. Do we want to put God at the center and follow him? Or we want to follow our own ways, follow our feelings, follow what's best for ourselves? Is God at the center of your life? Is God at the center of your marriage? Do you read his love letter, the Bible, to you? On a regular basis? Do you read it together? Are you serving God together? Are you praying out loud on a regular basis as a married couple? If not, what can you do to put God at the center of your family and your relationship? Number two, you have to commit. You have to commit. You have to lock the exit door to your marriage and throw away the key. See, here's the thing is that it's easy to fall in love. In seventh grade, I fell in love with Alyssa Greening <laughs> at Christian Skate Nights at Roller Gardens. I think the DJ was Spinning Baby Baby by Amy Grant. And then two years later, in ninth grade, I fell in love with Amy Campbell. 
She showed up to the first day of school. Her perm was gone from junior high. She had straight hair now, wearing a ankle-length denim jumper uh, at our Fundamentals Baptist High School, yes. And then my freshman year of college, I fell in love with Missy Emick, who was a drama major, a theater major, who directed me in the one-act play of Newsies. Yes, I did sing Open the Gates and Seize the Day. That was fun. And then the last woman I fell in love with was Kristen Miller, when we lip-synced some cheesy 90s Christian rap to my sister and her future husband the night before their wedding. See, it's easy to fall in love. I think we've all done that many times. But falling in love isn't all there is to marriage. Marriage is a commitment. Love is not primarily a feeling. Love is a behavior. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment that says, for better or worse, we're going to find a way through this. If you're single today, and you're thinking, well, if one day I get married and it doesn't work out, that's okay. If you go into your marriage thinking that, it's not going to work out. You have to go in thinking there is no exit plan. We're in this till death do us part. See, every marriage has problems. Every marriage has issues. And instead, what we need to say is, hey, this is really bad right now. This is really, really hard. But divorce is not an option. Divorce is off the table. We have to lock the exit door to our marriage and just throw the key away. Number three, we have to cut out all other temptations. We have to cut out all temptations. See, when people go through these rocky times, when you're just missing each other, when you're not connecting, when it's hard, so often they look outside their marriage for intimacy and friendship and connection. And that's when we find serious trouble. See, the truth is you and I were one hug, one text, one Facebook message away from heading down a path that could destroy our marriages. Job 31.1 says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. The secret to increasing intimacy in your marriage is to eliminate all temptations and focus exclusively on each other. See, the lie of pornography that our, our society tells us is that it doesn't hurt anyone. The lie of going to the strip club is, hey, that woman is doing this to make a good living. It doesn't hurt anyone. But it does. Take out just the whole, uh, that whole uh, trade and, and what those women go through. That when you look with lust at images on a phone or a computer or a strip club, what that does to your mind and your soul and it, it destroys you. And gang, this is a serious, serious business. I just saw this yesterday, the statistic that porn websites attract more visitors each month than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. It's a huge, huge issue. It's an epidemic. There are actually all these studies of 20-somethings now that they're struggling to get married or have relationships because Porn and, and artificial relationships have just so wrecked people's ability to connect with a human on, a, on, on an actual physical basis. If that's something that you're going through, reach out to me or Pastor Nate, and we'd love to talk with you to connect with someone else who has struggled with that. It's serious business. And one of the ways to increase intimacy is to cut that out. And it's not always visual. Sometimes it could be TV shows you're watching. It could be the novels you're reading. Anytime that you are fantasizing 
about someone who's you feel is more beautiful, that would love you more, that would serve you more than your spouse, that's committing mental adultery. We need to cut that out. Well, what happens, though, if things get so bad that the marriage ends? And many of you have gone through that. Well, fortunately, that's not the end of your story. There is restoration after divorce. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Man, I hold on to that promise. It's so good. It doesn't matter if you were married and then that marriage ended. Maybe you had a serious relationship and you had a child with that person and then now you've been remarried or just maybe a serious relationship in your past. That doesn't have to define you. That when we come to Christ, he makes us new. And we can receive forgiveness. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, he changes us and renews us. And that doesn't have to be our whole story. That Christ has paid for all of that. And now, I want to close. We're going to talk a little bit about marriage and sexual intimacy. This is a topic that the church has struggled with speaking well on, I think. We either, a couple different ways we go about this. We never talk about it or we just use shame. And the first thing I want to point out is that number one is that shame is not the solution. That shame is not the solution. See, so often the church's solution has just been to heap shame on people. And if you're looking for a church that's going to condemn people for making mistakes, a church that's going to condemn people for getting divorced, you need to keep looking for a different church. Because so often, shame is the source of our problems, so it can't be the solution. Now, conviction is different than shame. Conviction is, is the Holy Spirit saying that this action was wrong. And the Holy Spirit does that so we can turn and follow the path that God has for us. Shame is saying that I am wrong, I am a liar, I am a cheater. But through Christ, you can be made new. Number two, that God gives boundaries before the blessing. That God gives boundaries before the blessing. And I want to talk a lot to our single people, the teenagers and young adults and those who were married maybe and single again. The Bible is very clear that sex is a blessing. It's a good thing. I think too often Christians have made sex sound dirty. It's not. Sex is a blessing. Amen? Man, I thought I'd get a better amen than that. Amen? Amen. amen. We don't have to be awkward here. It's okay. Genesis 2, here's the story of the Bible, is that Adam is in the garden. God creates Adam. God creates the universe. It's all good. And God gives him one command. He says, don't touch that one tree. Now, sadly, Eve wasn't created yet. And so Adam didn't write down that one command, right? You ever wonder what would have been different if Eve had been created first? Like, because women are so much better writing that stuff down. But, but he didn't. And so God sets the boundary first. Before Adam gets the blessing of Eve, he gets that boundary. Don't touch this one tree. Then he puts Adam to sleep, takes out one of his ribs, creates Eve. He takes the rib out so that she's equal, not his head, so that he's a, he's, she's above him or not from his foot, so that he's ab above her, but from his ribs, so they're side by side. Then Adam wakes up and he sees a naked woman for the first time in his life, and he goes, whoa, man. And God's like, that's what you call her, woman? And, and he gives that boundary, you, 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 you took a second there, yeah. 
but God gives the boundary and then the blessing. Some of you guys are up here like, why does Eric have a nasty old fire pit up here and a bucket? Well, here's the thing. Sex is a lot like fire. Fire can be good when you're camping. It can keep you warm, cook. Fire can also be destructive too. It seems like every summer we see the fires raging, California, other places, and it's destructive. Sex is the same thing. God created sex to be good. But within the boundaries of a covenant marriage. See, this fire pit contains the fire. I was going to light a real fire and decide not to because we'd probably get in trouble. So picture a fire going here. The fire contained in these boundaries, it's good. We can roast marshmallows on it. We can cook hot dogs. It can bring light. People can gather around it. And I love, I was going to get like a new fire pit, and I thought, no, maybe some of us who've been married a long time, we kind of feel like this is our marriage. So let's, it's been a little worn, a little rust on it, but it's okay. It can still contain fire. Can I get an amen from the older couples? That's right. But see, what happened too often, I think, is the church has just taken a big bucket of water and just splashed it on there and told especially teenagers and 20-somethings, hey, don't even think about sex. Don't, don't even acknowledge that you are a sexual person. Just deny all of that. But see, that is not the answer. Because then what happens, honestly, is that too many Christian couples get married and they struggle to have sex. They struggle to connect because they feel guilty because all their life they've been told that sex is wrong and dirty and gross and don't do this. But see, God gave it as a gift. But because God invented relationships and sex, he gets to set the boundaries for it. So the first institution that God gave us was marriage. Even before he gave us the church, he gave us marriage. And the only way to not get burned is to keep the fire within these boundaries. God created sex and he created it to burn with white hot passion in the boundaries of a covenantal marriage. God invented marriage. Since he invented it, he gets to set the boundaries for it. And God tells us that in order to not get burned, there should be no sexual contact until after marriage, until after you're in the boundaries of this. And then after that, there should be a ton of it. Let that passion burn white hot. God wants all married couples to have more sex, to have better sex. And I'm so thankful that my parents aren't here today because they normally come to this church. I did not want to tell them to have more sex. So thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you. But sex inside a committed marriage is magic. It's like blowing on the coals of incredible, powerful flame. Sex is a way of saying to another person, I belong completely and exclusively and permanently to you. I'm being completely vulnerable. And that's something that you can only do within the boundaries of a covenant marriage. When you know that that person has said, for better or worse, I'm not leaving you, that that exit door is shut, then you have the freedom to totally give yourself physically and mentally and spiritually to the other person. Too often the church has just used a bucket of water of shame told people to just cool off. But God is saying passion is good. If you're a teenager, if you're a 20-something, you're feeling that passion, that's good. But wait. Keep that fire burning and contained so that you don't get burned by it. So that you, you can not enter your marriage with regrets. So you can have it contained in this fire pit that God has designed for marriage. 
too often we, we, we get lost in infatuation. Sometimes that happens when we're married and we get infatuated with someone else. Sometimes before we enter into a covenant relationship of marriage. But one of the things I found out in studying is that the roots of the word infatuation is ignis fatus. It means false fire. I think it's really fascinating that infatuation means false fire. And I want to urge you, I want to plead with you, don't pursue a false fire. Whether you're married or whether you're single, don't give up the good thing that God has for you for this false fire. Instead, God says that he is a consuming fire. Pursue the true flame. Pursue after God and his plan for your life, his plans for sex and marriage. Pursue his purpose and his plans for your passions. Imagine what it would look like if all of us decided to shut the exit door to our marriages and throw away the keys. Imagine if we all decided to pursue the fire of intimacy that God designed for us. Imagine if all of us would have kids who would grow up and say, man, I want a marriage like my parents. Did you get married to give your spouse the minimum required? Or to bless your spouse beyond their wildest dreams? Listen, that I've been thinking about this week. So often I think we live with this mentality of what's the least I can do? Instead, how could we bless our spouses beyond their wildest dreams with love, with service, with intimacy? I'm laying out what I'm just calling a 90-day marriage challenge. If this is something that you want to say, hey, we're going to try to do this as a couple to the best of our ability, I want you just to mark off on your connection card 90-day challenge. And what we're going to do is we're going to create a private Facebook group we're going to put you in that group, and then I'm going to send a weekly email over those 90 days of just some tips on marriage and relationships and intimacy, and to help you say, we want to have the best next 90 days of our marriage. And here's what I'm, I'm encouraging you to think about doing. Number one, to pray out loud together on a regular basis. We've talked, to, that's the secret sauce, that couples who pray out loud together on a regular basis, the rates of going divorce goes way, way down. It's like 97% stay together. That's something you can do. Number two, a 30-second hug every day. Something we talked about in the past. We have one couple, I love it, they still, I think they count out their 30 seconds. I think it's amazing. But there's something just chemically in our brains that when we hold each other for that long, that, uh, I forget, serotonin or whatever it is, is released and, and, and when we're connected to each other. Number three, 30 seconds of kissing every day. I don't know about you, but it's so easy when you have four little kids there are days when the only kiss we do is, is a quick peck on the lips at bedtime. And if we want to keep that fire burning all week long, just 30 seconds, set a timer. And just kiss for 30 seconds. And for those of you who are really good at multitasking, you could do all three together. You could kiss, hug, and then pray out loud. Uh, we have a couple who started doing the dishes together last week. And I love this. Um, they're going to serve side by side by doing their dishes, and then they hug and they pray together in their kitchen every day. I was like, that's amazing. That's like, what an awesome idea. Um, number four, uh, close your ears for all the kids in the room, but have sex at least two times a week. And then number five, a date night at least two times a month to get out and, and to look at each other face to face, to connect, to talk, to dream. How's your heart? 
if this is something you want to be held accountable to, just put that on your connection card, and we're going to put you in a group. And this is something I need for my marriage. And so I was like, what's attainable? What's not too crazy? Here, I think this is it. And so I'm going to join this group and, and, and do the best of my abilities that we, Chris and I, can do this. If you do too, we want to help you have the best flipping marriage that you can have. Because my dream is my kids, I want my kids to grow up and say, hey, I want a marriage like mom and dad's. And I'm guessing that's what your dream is too. Would you stand with me? We're going to close our service now by receiving an offering. The band's going to come out magically from behind the curtains, I think. And uh, this is a time where you can just drop those connection cards off in the offering. And then we're going to go out for singing, and then we're going to head to our family fun day. Um, would you just join me in a word of prayer, and then we're going to receive our offering. God, I thank you that you created us to have a relationship with you, that you created us to have relationships with others. So God, wherever we are, single, married, single again after being married, help us to know, God, that there is hope, that there is a plan for our future. God, I thank you for the gift of sex and, and marriage and intimacy and friendship. God, I pray that together as a church we would spur each other on to live the best marriages we could have, to be the best parents that we could be, just to have the best flipping families that we could have. God, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you that there's grace to cover us when we mess up, whether those are huge life-altering mistakes or just forgetting to leave the toilet seat up. So thank you, God, for all your blessings in our life. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go out of here singing as we...